Well, hey, how you guys doing today? Okay, all right, you ready for Christmas? Okay, a lot of you guys are ready. I am not ready for Christmas. Um, I'll be honest with you, the busiest shopping day of the year for me is Christmas Eve afternoon. Okay, that's not even a, a lie. That's, that's, that is 100% true. Uh, here at Grace, um, we are a family. Okay, we are a church family. We're a group of believers coming together to do life together. That's what, the, that's what God calls us to do. And so I want to encourage you to sign up for small groups that we're going to be starting at the end of January. And uh, we're going to kind of do a trial run through, uh, through the spring and then uh, take the summer off and then again do it next next uh, school year or winter or whatever. And so I want to encourage you to do that so we can do life together. But we are also called as a family to... Uh, make an impact on the community around us, on the world around us. And one of the easiest ways that you can do that this Christmas season is by what AJ was talking about and what Sarah was talking about is going and grabbing, I thought I had one, yep, grabbing one of these You've Been Gifted cards that we have all over the place out in the atrium. Guys, it's small enough for you to put in your wallet. Uh, ladies, throw it in your purse or, you know, whatever you use. Uh, but uh, grab one of these cards and throughout the next week, uh, find, look for a way that you can bless somebody or give or gift somebody uh, something uh, in the community. And personally, uh, I feel like it's better when you don't know the person, a random act of kindness. And so just want to encourage you to go, like AJ was saying, buy somebody's gas or buy somebody's meal in the drive through line behind you or buy somebody's groceries. Do something for somebody. And it's better, I think, if you don't even know them, but do something for somebody and make sure that they get one of these cards. And when you do that, invite them to come to church. Um, we, uh, we're supposed to be showing love to our community, and this is one thing that I think everybody, every single one of us, we have the uh, means to be able to do, and so I want to encourage you guys to do that. Uh, let me say this about the You've Been Gifted thing. Please don't embarrass us, okay? Meaning, don't go to, the re to a restaurant and leave like a $2 tip and slide this, you know, right there. Or maybe you don't leave a tip, you just leave the little... Thing there, invite them. Don't do that, okay? Nobody likes you. Nobody likes it when you do that. Um, if you're going to leave a tip, or you're going to leave one of these with a tip, leave like a $50 bill in one of these, okay? Something that your waiter or waitress or whoever has never, you know, nobody's ever done for them before. That's what we're looking for, and, uh, and that's, what, that's what we as a church family want to do as a group um, in our community. So grab one of these on the way out, and uh, that'll be awesome. Um, hey, Christmas, right? Some of us are ready. Some of us are not so ready. The Christmas story is a story that we all know, right? Okay, some of us know. Um, I'll re rephrase that. Some of us know. Um, Je little Jesus, born in the town of Bethlehem. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. I have never really understood what swaddling clothes is, but I think I understand now um, because I've heard Kate use, my wife use the, the word swaddle a couple times recently, and I think, and I, I'm 90%, not 100%, but I think it's like, you know, when you grab the cloth, <laughs> the swaddling clothes, and you wrap your baby up so tight that they can't move, and they're just like this little thing, and you don't want them to move their arms, because that's bad, and I guess, and you, they can barely breathe, and then you leave them there all night. That's what we do at my house. I don't do it, because I don't know how. 
but uh, my wife does, I know that. But baby Jesus lying in the manger full of fluffy yellow hay with, sw- with swaddle- swaddled in his swaddling clothes and there's sheep laying there and there's, and there's animals that are watching this baby and everybody's warm and, and cozy and it's a perfect night and the, the shepherds are there, right? The shepherds got their long staffs and they're kneeling down with holding their sheep and they're, they're worshiping this, this baby Jesus who's kind of glowing a little bit and and then the wise, the wise men come, the three wise men, and they have their gifts, and they're unloading all these gifts to Jesus as, as, they're, as they're worshiping and praising him. And then there's some angels somewhere around that are, that are singing, and, and they're, they're praising God, and there's this giant like star thing above this, above this, uh, above this manger, and, uh, and Joseph's standing there. He doesn't know what to do, and everybody's smiling, and Mary, what's she doing? She's pondering all these things in her heart, Right? <laughs> That is not how the first Christmas was. First, of, first thing is I've seen birth, and I've seen birth recently, and that is not how birth goes, okay? The first Christmas, there was screaming, there was blood, and there was pain, okay? Make no mistake about that. Uh, not to mention there was dirt and manure everywhere. Ladies, this is like your worst nightmare, Okay? giving birth in a, in a barn. It's not sanitary. There's no nurses around. It's just you and your husband, which would be terrible, right? <laughs> and some animals watching you. Um, but that's how, that's, that's how it was. The, see, we in our society, you know, we have treated or kind of made the Christmas story almost into like a fairy tale, right? Like, oh, yeah, that cute little story that you tell your kids before they go to bed, and it's just, it's just a story to us. And over the next few weeks, I want to look at, at the parts of the story that I feel like oftentimes our culture, and maybe, and, and we do it too, maybe it's because we're in our culture, but we often just ignore. But in order to understand the full story, in order to understand um, exactly what happened. We have to understand the context of the situation of what was going on when Jesus was born, meaning we have to understand the backstory to the story. And, uh, and so today, what I wanna, that's kind of what I want to look at to kind of kick off. We're starting a new series called Jesus Changes Everything. And to kick us off, I want to look at the backstory to the Christmas story. And uh, we are going to look at Uh, a guy named Isaiah who was a prophet in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament, there are 322 prophecies that talk about this future baby Jesus that was uh, to be born. And one of the most famous prophecies that, and, and verses in the Old Testament is found in Isaiah, and it's actually something that we hear a lot during the Christmas season because it's in reference to the baby Jesus. And, uh, and, and so that's what I want to talk about today. But in order to talk about the backstory, I have to give you the backstory of the backstory. Does that make sense? I have to tell you the context of what was going on in Isaiah's time so you can understand why Isaiah says what he says so that you can understand the Christmas story. Okay, so that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. And this is the, this is the backstory to the backstory. Uh, Israel has been divided into two kingdoms. This is 750 years before Jesus was even born. Israel divided into two ki- kingdoms. You got the northern kingdom. They're called Israel. They are 10 of the 12 tribes are in Israel. They retain the name Israel. And then the southern kingdom is called Judah. They are two out of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, their capital city is Jerusalem. 
And, uh, and the northern kingdom, they left God a long time ago. They don't want anything to do with God. They're out worshiping their fake gods, kind of almost making up their own religion. And then the southern kingdom, they've done a pretty good job, or maybe, I won't even say good, maybe a, an all right job following God, and they've had some good kings. But the, there's this king that succeeds, that accedes to the, to the throne, and his name is Ahaz. And Ahaz is the king of Judah, and he is a bad guy, okay? Not good. Um, Ahaz, he rejected God. He worshiped fake gods. Actually, what would happen is he rejected God, and then God punished the the nation of Judah because they, they didn't want anything to do with God. They started worshiping all these fake gods. And so what King Ahaz started doing is he would go, okay, this country came, and they raided all my land, and they took from me some of our territory, and so their gods must be stronger than, than my God. And so he would go to their town and say, hey, um, I'm going to start worshiping your gods. And so he'd build altars to those gods because those gods must be stronger and in hopes that, uh, you know, that maybe those gods would save them, make them more powerful and strengthen them and all this kind of stuff. So he started kind of just, you know, blindly uh, worshiping all these gods in hopes that maybe one of them would, would help him out. It'd be like going to Vegas, right? And you have, let's say you have like, you know, $1,000. You're, you're just going to spend. It's going to be fun. You're going to do all this stuff. And then you lose $1,000, and you're just like, ah, there's $1,000 gone. And, and so you're like spending all cash that you possibly have on the slot machines or whatever just in hopes to win jackpot, okay? That's what this guy's doing. He's like, he's like spending everything that he has. He's, trying, he's just kind of reaching in the dark for, for help, um, for a God to help him. And he has completely rejected God. He doesn't want anything to do with God. He closed God's temple. He's built shrines and altars all over the kingdom of Judah to all these fake gods. And uh, this guy was so bad that he even burned his children alive as sacrifices to these gods. Multiple children, multiple of his sons. This guy's got issues. Okay, he is doing exactly opposite of what God has commanded him to do. And his life is spiraling out of control. And the whole nation of Judah is spiraling out of control. In the meantime, there is this rising power uh, in the east called Assyria. And Assyria is actually going to become the first major uh, world um, uh, empire as, as time goes on. But Assyria is rising to power, and all these other nations around Assyria start kind of freak out a little bit, okay? We totally understand this. This still happens today, right? If one nation becomes powerful, all the other nations around it's like, whoa, we got to do something about this. And so all the other nations come together, and they start to form an alliance saying, hey, you know, we need to form an alliance against Assyria because we need to keep them in check. Otherwise, they're going to come, and they're going to start wiping us, picking us off, you know, uh, one at a time, wiping us out. And so these guys, all the other nations around kind of form an alliance, and they come to Judah and King Ahaz, and they say, hey, King Ahaz, we want you to be part of our club. Hey, you should be part of our alliance because if you didn't notice, Assyria are getting pretty powerful and they're going to come. They're going to wipe you out. They're going to wipe me out. But if we stand together, we might have a chance. Okay? And for some reason, I don't know if it's because Ahaz doesn't get along with other people, knowing what we know from him in the Bible. My guess is he didn't get along with people that well. You guys know people like that that just don't work well with others, you know? A lot of, don't point at anybody. Okay? Some of you, I see you looking at each other like, don't do that. Not at church. Do that at home. All right? But King Ahaz is like, no, nah, 
not interested, don't want to be part of your club, don't want to be part of your alliance. And so this, this alliance of kings, these, these nations are like, really? Well, we're going to come and we're going to wipe you out because now we're mad at you. And so they came, they brought their armies against Judah, and King Ahaz doesn't really know what to do. In the meantime, you got Assyria, who is again rising to power, and they say, hey, Judah, we can help you out because we're really powerful. And King Ahaz is like, all right, that's an option. And so Ahaz is trying to figure out what to do. He doesn't know which way he should probably go. And that's when God sends a messenger. And this, is, this messenger's name is Isaiah. And Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he says, hey, king, um, God wants me to tell you, uh, don't join any side. Don't join the alliance. They're bad news. Don't join the Assyrians. They're really bad news. And so you just, he says, you, what you need to do is you just need to trust in God that he will protect you as his people And he says, in fact, God will give you a sign. He says, ask for a sign. God says, it doesn't matter how big or small or how big or little this sign is, ask for something that will help you, that God can do some miraculous thing that God can do that will prove to you that he wants to protect you and that he wants to save you really as a nation. And Ahaz goes, you know what? Not really interested in that either. I don't really want a sign. All right, because if you... If, I, if you give me a sign or if I ask for a sign, then it happens, and that means that I probably have to do what God tell, is telling me to do, and then I'll know 100% that it is from God, and I would rather kind of not know so I don't have to do that because that's not really what I, what I want to do. I just don't want to sit here and wait for some God who hasn't helped me out in the past to help me out now. And so he's like, you know, not really into that thing. I think we do that sometimes, right? Let me explain, All right? Sometimes we'll be doing something in our life or we'll have some situation in our life that we know is not, we're not doing what God wants us to do. Okay, we totally understand. We know it's wrong. Um, we know that, yeah, you know, what would Jesus do? It would not be this that I'm doing right now. But we have a million excuses as to why the thing that we're doing, which we know is technically wrong, but we have a million excuses to why we should do that and why it's, it's right for us at this moment and why it's, it's okay to do the thing that God doesn't want us to do. And so what we do a lot of times, because we'll run into some problem and we'll be like, all right, because we're Christians and, you know, we go to God and it's like, so we'll go to the Bible or we'll go to, you know, our Christian friend and we'll ask him for advice. Like, hey, I need some wisdom here. I need some help. You know, what do I do in this situation? And they, a lot of times, tell us what's right. And a lot of times we already knew that. And when they tell us the advice that we know is technically right and is, is what God wants, wants us to do, a lot of times we're like, oh, don't tell me that. Anything but that. I don't want to do that because, because of this and this and this, this excuse or this reason. And in reality, it's like we, we think that we want advice, but we really don't want advice at all. This kind of what's going on in this situation here. King Ahaz is like, you know, I want your help, but I don't really want to do what God wants me to do. Um, and so I don't want to sign, and I'll figure this out on my own, because that's not the way I want to do it. And Isaiah says, you know what? Actually, it's not up to you. Um, God's going to give you a sign anyway, and uh, this is the sign. In the Isaiah chapter 7, he says this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He says, see, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him 
Emmanuel. Emmanuel just means God with us. So Isaiah's like, here's your sign. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be, it's going to be different. And I know you don't want a sign, but, but this is it. And it's not just going to be for you, King Ahaz. It's actually going to be for your whole nation, for the whole nation of Israel. And he's like, the sign will be this, that a child will be born of a, uh, of a virgin, and this child will literally be God with us. And that child will rescue you, and that child will save you. And Isaiah actually describes this uh, future um, event in, in uh, chapter 9. He says, the people walking around in darkness. So he's describing when Jesus is born. He's saying, the people walking around in darkness have seen a great light. And a light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Next. <laughs> you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. And the people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. He's saying, hey, there's going to be this child that's going to be born. There's going to be this future time where a light will shine on this dark, dark world that we live in. He's saying something big is coming. Something really big is coming and something really good is coming. And when this thing comes or when this child comes, the people are going to rejoice. They're going to rejoice like they do at harvest time. All right, back then, harvest time was a big deal because that's when um, the, the work was finally done. After they got all their you know, crops harvested and stuff, the work was done for the year in a sense. And, uh, and they finally had, they had some extra food and it was like payday for them, okay? We all like payday. Right? Or maybe, um, you know, if we know that we're going to get a bonus or something like that, where it's like, yes, no, okay, nobody out there? <laughs> Come on, people. It's kind of like that. It's like these guys, they finally get paid, they have extra food, and they're done working. There's what's, you know, that's like the best of all worlds right there. And so people, what they do back then is, that, I mean, they'd celebrate, they'd feast, they'd, they'd ha they would rejoice, they would have, um, they'd party together. That was what they would do. And so Isaiah's trying to put this into perspective for King Ahaz. He's like, man, people are going to rejoice like it's harvest time. People are going to rejoice like like, uh, like they, they, they don't have to work anymore. Like, they, like it's payday. People are going to rejoice. Like they're getting their bonus. It's going to be awesome. And, and when this Messiah and this, this child, Messiah just means Savior. But when the Savior comes, everybody's going to be excited. And it's going to be a big deal. And everybody's going to have joy. And people are going to celebrate. He goes on in verse 6. He says, for a child will be born for us. This is a verse that we, all, we hear a lot of times at Christmas time. He says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end, and he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. So he's describing Jesus here, and, and this is what the Jewish people were waiting for. I mean, the Jewish people, they were, they were pumped. They were like, okay, this thing is coming. They knew from the 322 prophecies that God was sending this Savior, this Messiah, the Savior, uh, who would save them and would establish Israel as a kingdom forever. 
especially politically. Like this was a big deal to them and this baby would become their king and this baby would eventually lead them. And then he starts throwing out future like names for the child or, or he starts to describe the child. He says, hey, this kid all right, is gonna be wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And as I was studying it uh, this week, um, it's, it's interesting to me that God chose to put wonderful and counselor together, okay? I think a lot of times we just kind of skip over this. We're like, yeah, I wonder, we hear these verses all the time, especially at Christmas. And, uh, and think about it. Think about it. We think of God and uh, we think of him as, as wonderful, okay? I mean, we get that. We're like, yeah, God's wonderful. And wonderful could also be translated as powerful or, um, or, or amazing or wow, okay? And so we're like, yeah, God's wow. God's, uh, God's powerful. He's amazing. We, we get that. And mighty God, it's like, well, yeah, God's mighty. That makes sense. And eternal Father, he's eternal. And so, yeah, that's, we're good with that. And this Prince of Peace, yeah, God would be on the side of peace. And so we understand that. But counselor, no offense to any of you counselors out there. I mean, a counselor, counselor could also uh, be translated as, as helper. A helper, a wonderful, meaning awesome, powerful counselor. Or maybe you could, it could be translated as a wow helper. See, I think a lot of times, the way that God helps us in most of our problems is by allowing us to see how awesome and how wondrous he is and how valuable he is to us, okay? He is a counselor who knows how to actually help us. And seeing, his wonderful, seeing that he is wonderful, I think, is one of the ways that he helps us do that. We see how powerful and how amazing and how just wow God is, and that helps us with our issues. That helps us get through our problems that every single one of us in here, we all go through. See, life's greatest treasure and joy is to know him and to know that he knows you and that he loves you and that he desperately wants to be a part of your life. And that doesn't take away from your problems. I totally get that. I totally understand. But it completely changes the way that you go through them. It completely changes. Seeing the wow in God completely changes the way that you handle your problems. Really, that's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about God fulfilling this promise that he made to this King Ahaz who had a major problem going on. See, God was saying, hey, King, hey, trust me. Don't trust them. Don't trust the Assyrians. Don't trust the alliance. He says, don't trust them. Trust me. I am the wonderful counselor, and I am the mighty God, and I am the eternal father. I'm the prince of peace. And one day, God's saying, I will send the one who will ultimately fix your main problem that you don't even understand, King Ahaz, that you even have. And it's your problem with sin. And King Ahaz Here's these words from Isaiah, and I'm sure he's like, really? A baby? I got like, I'm like in the middle 
of these, of these two warring, you know, this alliance of countries and this major world power. I'm in the middle of this, and you're going to send me a baby? That's not going to work for me. That's not, that's not what I need. I need, like, an army. I need, like, weapons. I need, like, some miraculous thing where you just burn them all up or do whatever you want, God. You know, but, but a baby is not going to, that doesn't work for me. I don't have time to wait for a baby. And Isaiah ends up, he rejects God. He rejects what Isaiah has to say. And uh, Ahaz, he actually goes and he gathers up all the money that he has. And he sends it off to Assyria. And Assyria receives the money. They're like, hey, thanks. This is great. We'll come. And so they come and Assyria comes and beats down the alliance. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a, a fight, really. And they, they destroy the alliance. And then while Assyria is in the neighborhood, they go ahead and destroy Judah, too. Didn't work out too well for Ahaz. And after that, it wasn't long that Judah is destroyed and was ruled by foreign governments really until 1948. And they suddenly appeared back on the map. See, in the 750 years between Jesus and this and King Ahaz. All right, these 750 years are dark, dark. It's a dark, dark time for Israel. All right, it's a terrible time. For the next 750 years, the Jewish people, they just waited. They just waited for this baby. Do you guys like waiting for things? I don't, okay? I'll be the first to say I'm not patient enough, okay? Um, God will forgive me for that someday. I know I should be patient, but it's hard to be patient, okay? We understand. I hate waiting for things. One of the things that I, let me just say this. One of the things that I hate the most about Tiffin, okay? Let me just throw this out there. I know I already got people groaning, okay? All right, one of the things I hate most about Tiffin is I come in on 101 or by Heidelberg, and then I get on Perry Street because it's like a weird Y thing there. And I don't know if I'm allowed to even, I don't know, never mind. I don't know if I'm, I'm allowed to turn on red on that or not, or if that's like a straight. I saw somebody turn on red. I was like, I could do that. Um, but technically, he went straight and then turned. So I don't know. Anyway, not what I'm talking about. But, uh, but I get to the second light, the second stoplight, and it's, I believe it's Perry and Clinton Street. And I always hit it, and it's always red. It drives me crazy. I just wait there. Cars don't even go by. And it's like, they just make you wait. Just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's like the city of Tiffin hates, you know, hates me. I don't know what it is. But it's like, I'm there and I'm just like, why is it, why is there a stoplight here? There's never any cars here. I was doing it this morning. I'm here with one guy and there's like, nobody's coming. You know, someday I'm just going to start running it. And that's not good either. But it's so frustrating because it's like, I'm waiting for nothing. So if any of you have any power in the city of Tiffin government, Take that out, but do not turn that into a stop sign because I won't appreciate that either. But, uh, but yeah, we hate waiting for things, especially when it's like when, you know, meaningless waiting. You don't understand why you have to wait. We hate to wait. Israel waits for the Messiah for hundreds of years. Israel waits for the Savior for hundreds of years. See, we look back on the first Christmas, but Israel, that's not what they were doing. Israel, for these, for these years, they're looking forward to the first Christmas, and they can't wait. They are pumped. 
because this baby is going to become their king and he's going to overthrow the oppressive government, foreign government who rules over them. And Israel is going to finally become top dog and it's going to be awesome. And Jesus is then born 2,000 years ago and it's their king and he is born in a barn or a manger. He's born in a barn. Wait, that's not how it's supposed to happen. Wait, that's not how, how the story's supposed to go. I mean, royalty, a king should be born in like a palace. And then he was born to a couple of poor young parents. That's not what they were expecting. I mean, a king should be born to royalty or at least some major religious leader or something like that. And, and then Jesus is laying there in the manger and, and some shepherds come and they, and they come to worship him. That's not right. Because back then, shepherds, I mean, they're considered the lowest in society. Nobody wanted anything to do with shepherds, especially a religious leader wouldn't even get close to a shepherd because they were considered unclean and dirty and you don't mess with them. Let alone a king. It's not right. See, Jesus came into the world in maybe the exact opposite way that Israel expected him to. And a lot of them missed it. I mean, we see throughout the Old Testament, or the New Testament, a lot of them, they just completely miss it. I mean, we see even today. A lot of them, they, they miss it. But not all of them. Actually, right after Jesus' birth, he's taken to the temple in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 2, he says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout and looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He's saying, looking forward to that time when Israel's going to be saved. That's what it means by Israel's consolation. He is waiting. He's been waiting his entire life, and he's probably super old because it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So he's, probably, he's been waiting for this Messiah his entire life. And guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. And Simeon took him up in his arms, and he praised God, and this is what he said. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. All right, now I can die, for my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. He's saying, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people, Israel. So Simeon comes, they're in the temple. The parents, Mary and Joseph, they bring, they bring baby Jesus to do what was customary under, under the law. And this, this stranger comes up and he's like, dude, he grabs the baby, picks up this baby. And he's like, hey, this, this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is who I've been waiting for my entire life. This is what we as a nation have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then he says, this child will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, what the heck is a Gentile? A Gentile is just a non-Jewish, non-Jewish person, okay? So probably all of us in here, I would think, are probably Gentiles. Right? That's, that's, that's who we are. He's saying this child will be a light for the Gentiles and it will bring glory 
to Israel. See, Israel kind of missed it. They were waiting for this. They're like, hey, this Messiah, he's going to bring glory to Israel, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to be back, and, and Israel, we're, we're all ready for this. And he's like, no, it's not just for you. It's actually for the world as well. See, the Jews, they're mostly concerned with their political status. And they're like, hey, this, this guy's going to physically save us from our, from, our physically, from our physical enemies. And God's like, no. You don't fully understand. You don't, you don't understand what's going on here. This child will not only save you physically someday or politically someday, but so much more more importantly than that, so much, doesn't even compare more importantly than that, he will save you from your sin. And not just you Jews, but he's going to save the whole world. He's going to save all peoples. And it's going to be a crazy, amazing gift. See, God's gift is always so much better than what we imagine. I don't know if you're like me, but um, when I was a kid, okay, the way my family did it is we'd have Christmas presents, um, and they would kind of accumulate through the, through the weeks before Christmas. So, you know, there'd be a few, and be like, oh, Christmas presents are here, and then, and then they would just kind of build up as my parents got more and more presents and got more and more together and all that. So, um, but sometimes what I'd do is, you know, we'd look at the presents, and I'd see one that has my name on it, and I'd be like, I'd go up to it. We, we all did this, right? I, I think I'm not alone. And you're like, shaking it. What could that be? What did I ask for that moves like that, that would make that sound? And then sometimes when nobody was looking, I'd peel back the scotch tape, and I'd start to look in, and I'd see, the, I'd see like the box that it's in, and I'm like, what is that? I don't even know what it is, but I'm like, dude, this is sweet. There's red on it, you know? <laughs> and as a kid, I'd be so pumped because it's like, I'd just see a sliver of this present and it'd be like, dude, this is awesome. I cannot wait to open this up on Christmas. I think my parents, they must have found out because they stopped writing our names on the presents as we got older. And so I never knew which ones were mine and which ones were my sister's. And that would be a big blow if I opened up one of my sisters and saw something, you know, that uh, I would completely not be interested in. But for Christmas, I would, you know, we, it wouldn't compare to Christmas, seeing this sliver of this, of the wrapping or of the, the package of the box that uh, my Christmas present is, is in, right? We get that. So on Christmas, you open it, and you get to hold it, you get to see the box for all that it's worth, and, and you don't have to shake it anymore, and uh, it, you get to open it up from the package, you, gotta take, you get to take the toy out, you get to play with it, you get to interact with it, you get to hold it, all this stuff. I mean, Christmas was always so much better than looking at the little sliver of the packaging, all that you could see through the wrapping paper. See, Israel was looking for, and they were waiting for that little sliver. They didn't understand how ex the expanse of the gift that God was actually going, going to give them. See, God gave so much more, and by his grace, he decided to include us as Gentiles, as non-Jewish people. And Simeon he may have been the first person to fully understand this. He may have been the first person to understand. He says this next verse. He says his father and mother, meaning Mary and Joseph, or Joseph and Mary, his father and mother were amazed. They're like, what? This 
kid, they, don't, they didn't even fully understand who Jesus was. So his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him, about Jesus. And then Simeon, he blessed him and he told his mother Mary, he says, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that unfortunately will be opposed. Simeon's like, guess what? This baby, this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the sign that Isaiah gave to Ahaz 750 years before that, that Isaiah gave to the nation of Israel uh, 750 years before. He's saying, this is the sign. This is the Messiah. It is finally here. This is the one that God told us that was coming even all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. God's like, great. You guys messed up big time. I'm going to have to fix this. I got a plan. Moses talks about it. He promised this to, to, even before that, he promised this to Abraham, all right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, Ezekiel, Daniel, all right, Habakkuk. There's so many Old Testament prophets that talk about this one. Actually, that's what the whole Old Testament's about. The whole Old Testament is saying, hey, someday I'm gonna fix this mess. There's gonna be this Messiah, this Savior, and it's coming someday. He's gonna fix our problem. He's going to fix our sin problem. And the Savior wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born to royalty. He was born in a tiny, quiet village. And then a barn within that village. See, God was going to give so much more than political power for Israel. That's worthless. He's going to save them and us from our sin. He's going to save us spiritually. And that's the backstory of Christmas. Right? It's not a fairy tale. It's not just, you know, some story that you tell your kids at bedtime. It's about God choosing to come as a servant to help us <clears throat> because that's who God is. He is the wonderful helper. He is the wow helper. And that's what Christmas is all about. And that's why Christmas, to us, changes everything. And we'll talk more about that next week. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for sending your son for sending Jesus to come into this world, born in a barn, not born to royalty, to live a perfect life and then eventually to die for us. Why? Ah, because you love us. And because sin has to be punished and we're all messed up and we're all, we're all jacked up, we all got sin in our lives and, and it is right for you and, and good for you to punish wrong because you're perfectly just but you punished yourself and you took that for us. God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for that first Christmas. We thank you for that day. And God, we thank you that we can have joy and we can rejoice and we can celebrate because of this awesome, huge gift that you gave to us. You didn't have to, but you did it anyway. God, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to show this joy as we're out and about in our community this week, 
Help people to be able to see that joy in our faces, especially at this time of year. And God, we thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.